Psalter 136, both the opening and the closing Psalter were picked out very carefully by uh, your, your dear father and grandfather, and in this Psalter, he particularly wanted to show you the vanity of living just for this world. Let's sing 136, all stanzas. to turn to Isaiah, Isaiah 38, verses 9 through 20. Let's hear the Word of God, Isaiah 38, verse 9. The writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and was recovered of his sickness, I said, in the cutting off of my days, I shall go to the gates of the grave. I am deprived 
of the residue of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, even the Lord, in the land of the living. I shall behold man no more with the inhabitants of the world. Mine age is departed and is removed from me as a shepherd's tent. I have cut off like a weaver my life. He will cut me off with pining sickness from day even to night. Wilt thou make an end of me? I reckon till morning that as a lion, so will he break all my bones. From day even to night wilt thou make an end of me. Like a crane or a swallow, so did I chatter. I did mourn as a dove. Mine eyes fail with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. What shall I say? He hath both spoken unto me, and himself hath done it. I shall go softly all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So wilt thou recover me and make me to live. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. For the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The Father to the children shall make known thy truth. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs to the stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. Thus far, the reading of sacred scripture. May God bless it to our hearts. Let us seek his face in prayer. Most holy and majestic and sovereign God, who knows the boundaries of each person's life, even before they're born, and whom in thy inscrutable sovereignty and mercy has spared Ori Vandeboon for 95 years, but has now said, it is time, it is time to take him home. Lord, we bow under thy ways, and we pray for the many children and their spouses, the 49 grandchildren, the 85 great-grandchildren, the siblings, the nieces and nephews, the friends, that thou would strengthen us all this day and help us to reckon with the issues of life and death and be ready ourselves to meet thee in the great day when the Master calls for us. Lord, we thank Thee that this family need not sorrow today as those who have no hope. May they identify with Hezekiah when he said, O Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. Let them experience, even at this funeral, underneath are Thy everlasting arms. And so may they surrender their dear father and grandfather into thy high priestly arms, Lord Jesus, knowing that thou art a God full of grace and plenteous in mercy. Remember the immediate children in a special way as they bring their dear father to the grave. May they experience something of what Jeremiah said, leave thy fatherless children unto me and I will preserve them alive not just alive physically, but could it be for each of them and their spouses alive spiritually? And strengthen all the grandchildren and great-grandchildren who will miss Grandpa greatly. Lord, use this funeral message to comfort those of them who are saved and to touch savingly those who are not yet saved. For the message of death calls us to meditate on the brevity of life, even 95 years, as well as the certainty of death, 
and the solemnity of judgment and the never-endingness of eternity, as well as the beauty and glory of Christ as the only name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. Oh, God bless that message to the entire family, also to the, the siblings, the nieces, the nephews, the many friends gathered here. May we all realize how short life is. That we all, may we all realize that we need to be born again. We need to be brought to repentance and faith in the Savior. Be washed in His blood. And come out of the great tribulation on the final day. Oh, make the Vanderboon family an undivided family reserved for the heavenly mansions above. And do make us jealous, Lord, of Thy people who may enter the church triumphant. Oh, to be rid of all infirmities and all uh, of the old self and to come as a needy beggar into the foundation of Christ's bloody righteousness and then onward, upward into everlasting glory to be with Jesus forever in sin-free Emmanuel's land. Oh God, we think of one of thy servants who who cried out, I shall stand in that day at the back of the crowd. But because I've been saved as the greatest of sinners, my voice shall be heard in the front. For my salvation, next to my Lord's incarnation, is the greatest miracle ever. Oh, help us to feel the wonder of salvation in these moments. Wash away the mighty stream of foul transgressions that prevails far too often in our lives day by day through the mightier stream of the bloody righteousness of Jesus Christ that prevails from eternity to eternity. We ask all these things in Christ's name out of one-sided, unconditional, free, sovereign grace. Amen. Well, dear Lois and Pete, and Janice and Ralph, Jim and Gwen, Ron and Catherine, David, Coral and Mark, Sue and Dale, John and Kathy, Don and Ellen, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, brothers, sister-in-law, nieces, nephews, friends, here we are again four years after your dear mother has passed away. And now, now it's your father, one you lost suddenly and one you lost gradually. And neither is easy. We don't want to die, and we don't want our loved ones to die. We don't even know what to pick if we could pick sudden or gradual. Death is difficult. And Ori's death was difficult. But God gave you opportunity in these weeks and months to taste the reality of death and to be bonded together as a family, which I believe happened. Every time we were there, it's like... It was an open door, and people were walking in and out, and bonding, and, and hugging, and weeping. And God gave you these hard months, not only to bind you together, but to, to drive you to Him. And you did shower great love upon your dear grandpa and your dad, and it was beautiful, beautiful for him. And beautiful to witness. You'll never be sorry, especially you precious granddaughters who wanted to see him through to the end at home and offered your services through the night. Never be sorry. Children, for all the love you showed to your dad. But now, now you're the oldest generation. Now people are looking to you 
as an example of how to live and how to walk. And what a, what a solemn responsibility that is. I don't think your dad will want me to talk a lot about himself at this funeral. That's not who he was. So I, I'll try to keep my remarks short, but I do want to focus on what God did for him and in him, even though he would often push it away. I believe that God began to work savingly in your father a goodly number of years ago. He struggled a lot with the lust of the flesh and with the fact that he couldn't fully surrender everything to the Lord so often. In one way, he set an impossibly high bar for himself and had a lot of difficulty understanding that only Christ could, could go over that bar and pass that test. And he has. And he freely gives himself to sinners who can't do it. Most of the time, he felt he was missing what he needed. That he was too wretched, too wretched to be saved. He, he knew Paul struggled, didn't he? In, in Romans 7, the, the good that I would, I find myself not doing. The evil that I would not, I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. I, I find two members, two laws warring in my members. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? His problem for many years was he understood experientially verses 21 through 24 but he didn't get too much of verse 25a, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is an answer. There is an answer to the question. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And the answer is I thank God through Jesus Christ. He is the answer, the total answer. I was puzzling as that may have been for you and for us as pastors that it was very difficult to persuade him that that could also be for him. Very difficult for him to believe what Martin Luther said, and I quoted that to him also. When I look at myself, I don't see how I could be saved. Well, that he understood. But when I look to Christ, I don't see how I could not be saved because it's all in him. And so that was a struggle for him. And by extension, for you, as you watched him struggle. He was a real Pilgrim's Progress Mr. Fearing to the core of his being. And yet, there was the life of the matter in him. And that, despite himself, kept coming to the surface. Whether you watched him groan, oh God, oh God, in these last weeks, and you were let into the inner veil of a man wrestling with God in reality. Or whether he at times openly said, Jesus paid it all with tears, as you have told me. It wasn't always dark for Ori Vanderboom. Four years ago when your mother died, he, he gave you an overwhelming testimony of what the love of God meant to him. And it was moving. But then his Mr. Fearing personality soon took over again and he slid back into the former mode of thinking. And he had just a hard time getting assurance that this was all for him. One of the grandsons put it best, I think. He said this, We also had many conversations about the gospel. Grandpa was still cognizant of his own heart and his failures before God. He knew he was not worthy to be saved. He was bothered even when people tried to convince him he was saved because he felt he was such a good man. Because they felt he was such a good man. Looking back, I was often moved by his prayers. He came before God in such a way that you could sense his deep respect for God's holiness and righteousness. Grandpa didn't need to be convinced that God was holy and he was a sinner. But I did often remind him that Christ died for the ungodly. It was so amazing to hear him talk freely about God's grace to him right before Grandma's funeral. 
But the most encouraging thing I've ever heard was three weeks ago when he said to to one of the daughters-in-law, Jesus is all my hope and righteousness. And really, that's it. That's it. So the question is not, do we have full assurance in terms of eternity where we will be, or do we have it faith all the time in exercise? The question is, do we know? Do you know? Do you know deep down that Jesus Christ is your only hope and righteousness? 100%. Not 1% you, 99% Jesus. That will bring you to hell. 100% the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's that Savior who sends out His Spirit and works in the hearts of people, sinners like you and me. What we read in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. I can't imagine anyone who knows Ori van der Boom very well at all being able to deny that this man hungered and thirsted passionately after the righteousness of Christ. Oh, that's not the work of man. That's not the work of Satan. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And now we trust the last part of that text is filled, is is fulfilled. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, this is your comfort about your grandpa, your dad. Filled. Samuel Rutherford, the great Scottish divine, said, when God's people go to glory, they shall have their fill of Christ. Filled, always filled with him. And now, Ori Vandeboom can't talk himself out of it anymore. Well, there were six words, six words I just want to lay before you that talk about the character of this rather complex father you had, the way I see it. First word is generous. Generous. He's a very generous man, almost to a fault, almost to the point that your mother didn't know what to do with it sometime. Would there be anything left for us? Integrity. He was a man of integrity. His walk often spoke louder than his talk. His example was powerful. And many of you have shared that with me. Third word is family. He was a family man. He loved to be with you. He loved to give you counsel. He loved to play with you, laugh with you, run with you. Fourth word is surprising. He never failed to surprise me until the very end. I never knew quite how he would respond to different things. I really never knew after I said amen to a sermon whether Ori Vandeboom would like it or not. He sent me a lot of letters, pro and con. Fifth word is controlling. He had to be in control. That was one of his spiritual problems. It was his character to be a leader, to be a boss in the business, to to take charge of things. Almost a kind of savior mentality with a small s. He had to save people from their problems. But that very character, which was a strength, got in his way when he had to relinquish all the reins to the Lord and and, and lose control, as it were, and put the reins in his hand. And yet that's who he was. I was always amazed how at the end of all his letters, no matter how strong they were, he put on the bottom always the same four words, no need to respond. No need to respond. I've said my piece, now you take it. And then the word oppressed. I'm so glad he's oppressed no more. But he was very oppressed with his own sins. And he, he told me that he wanted me to preach about how God could undertake 
for oppressed sinners. That's what he told me. And that's what I want to do right now, briefly, from Isaiah 38. I was sitting at my desk, and this doesn't happen to me very often, but these words came into my mind. Verse 14b, O Lord, this is Hezekiah, O Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. And I knew immediately, this is the text. This is the text for you, but also that really summarizes Ori's life. These words are, are spoken about by Hezekiah, a God-fearing, praying king, very active man, always doing things, always reforming throughout Israel, zealously, various things that were wrong, straightening out things. And the Bible says a couple wonderful things about Hezekiah. He clave to the Lord. That is, he, he, he clung to the Lord and departed not from following Him, and the Lord was with him. But Hezekiah came into deep trouble. God broke him down. God sent him a grievous, deadly disease. He was on his deathbed. In those days, verse 1 says, Hezekiah was sick unto death. And Amos, Isaiah the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus saith the Lord, set thy house in order, for thou shalt not die and not live. And the Lord used that death sentence, so to speak, to penetrate the depths of Hezekiah's soul. He felt unfit for the presence of the king of kings. We read in verse 2, he turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord. And verse 3, he wept sore. He turned his face to the wall. That means, that's a Hebrew expression, no man could help him. He wanted to be alone with God, alone with his sins in the presence of God. His soul entered into oppression. That's where Ori Vanderboon often was. And I wonder if there's been times in your life where you too have turned your face toward the wall, as it were, crying out to God, alone with God. You couldn't meet God. There were no words to encourage you. You were overwhelmed with your own sin, your own helplessness, your own unrighteousness, your own filthiness in the midst of your best righteousnesses, which are really unrighteousnesses and filthy rags before God. That's what your dad struggled with. And Hezekiah as well. Verse 13 says he reckoned until morning. That is, he spent the whole night in prayer and wrestling, but he couldn't find a solution. He said, my age is departed. Thou hast removed me as a shepherd's tent. You know, a shepherd's tent is picked up every day. God was constantly emptying him from vessel to vessel, or you might say from tent to tent, or from day to day. I've been cut off like a weaver from my life. The Lord will cast me off with pining sickness, Hezekiah says. He's ready to die. And yet he's struggling with death. Exactly. This is exactly where Ori Vanderboon has been in recent weeks. But then he cries out, O Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. Undertake for me for me. Now, what is it exactly that oppresses a seeking soul like Hezekiah or like Ori Vandeboom? Well, it, it, can actually be, it can actually be many things. I'm just going to give you five real quick things. First big one is conviction of sin. When the Spirit works in our lives, sin does become sinful, exceedingly sinful. And Hezekiah struggles with that. So did Ori Vanderboom. True soul oppression is taught by the Spirit through the means of true soul conviction. We become sinners. Oh, God, be merciful to me. The sinner is the original Greek. The sinner. Transgressors, full of iniquity. Sins of 
commission, things I did that I shouldn't have done, and sins of omission, things that I don't do that I should have done. Sometimes that's, that's a longer list and more, more humbling, more bringing under oppression. There's a great Irish divine named Archbishop James Usher. When he was on his deathbed, someone asked him if he was ready to die, and he said yes. And they said, well, I wanted to thank him for all the sermons he preached in his life. And he said, well, don't even thank me for that. He said, I'm dying just as a poor sinner, guilty of so many sins of omission. Omission. And then that person said to him, but what is your greatest encouragement in dying? And he said, that I have a Savior who's willing to save even my sins of omission. See, when the Holy Spirit works in our heart, empties us of our own righteousness, and we come under the oppression of conviction of sin, we realize that we've missed our entire lives, the very purpose of why we're here on earth, to live for the glory of God, to love God above all. And when that becomes real, that the purpose for which I'm put here on earth, I have never fulfilled even one second in my life, but have always transgressed every single second of my life, sin, 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 by way of omission. That becomes oppressive. Oh God, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. But then there's also the attributes of God, attributes. God is holy. God is sovereign. God is majestic. God is just. How can I meet him when I'm such a sinner? When his holy law says that everyone who doesn't obey the law perfectly is guilty before God. You see, that can be oppressive when the Holy Spirit shows you the glorious attributes of God. You don't only come under the oppression of sin by seeing who you are, but you also come under the oppression of sin by seeing who you are in comparison to who God is and what God demands. Absolute perfection. Thirdly, sanctification. That is, striving to be holy. You see, that's oppressive when you see your own sin, you see God's attributes, and then no matter how hard you try, your prayers remain poor, you remain lukewarm, your, your heart remains too hard, too worldly, too carnal, uh, your indwelling old nature remains too strong. That's the kind of oppression your dad often felt. Oh, Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. Fourth word, not only conviction, attributes, and sanctification, but debt. Debt, your debtorship. You see, it's one thing to become a chief sinner before God. It's another thing to become a chief debtor before God. What do I mean by that? Well, when the Holy Spirit shows us who we have been before God, that's oppressive. But then when we see what God has lavished upon us, and that we owe him so much, and we've given back so little. We not only say, oh Lord, I am the chief of sinners, but I'm the chief of debtors. I owe everything to thee. Oh Lord, undertake for me. And the last word is afflictions. And you combine these first four things, and then you pile on top of it. Afflictions, sickness, cross-providences, the troubles and trials of life, you see, and you don't, you don't have a clear vision of Christ and who he is for you. you. You end up like Hezekiah. You end up like Ori Vandeboon. You cry out, oh Lord, I am oppressed. These things are real. Undertake for me. But here's the good news. Oh Lord, it's the covenant name of God. The unchangeable covenant name of God. The Yahweh name. The I was what I was. I am who I am. I shall be who I shall be. The God who cannot change. The God who's covenantally loyal and kind and long-suffering and gracious. Who delights in mercy. Oh, that God. The living God. The merciful God. 
do thou undertake for me? Now, the word undertake here is a special Hebrew word. My dictionary says this. It means literally to engage for, to occupy, to undertake for, to give pledges on behalf of another, and to become surety for another. Think this through with me a moment. The oppression of sin drove Hezekiah to need a surety, to need someone to take up his debt for him, to need that Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect God-man mediator. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus undertook. He bore up under everything Hezekiah needed to have done for him, and by extension for your father as well. In Gethsemane and Gabbatha and Golgotha, where he suffered and died to pay for our sin. And in his perfect life, 33 years of loving God above all his neighbors himself without one sin, see, through his passive obedience, paying for sin, through his active obedience of obeying the law, through that double obedience, God has merited everything a sinner will ever need to be saved. And when a sinner, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, surrenders to that and believes in Him alone for salvation, that double obedience is imputed to Him and all of His sins are imputed to Jesus and put away, as Hezekiah goes on to say, for thou hast delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, thou hast cast off, verse 17, all my sins behind thy back. It's through the undertaker, Jesus, undertake thou for me. And the word undertake, you could put in the capital U because it's a person. It's Jesus, you see. Christ is our surety. Christ is the greater Judah of whom Judah spoke when he said, I will be a surety for Benjamin. Of my hand shalt thou require him if I bring him not back unto thee. And that's what God does. He, he shows us our sin. He empties us of our righteousness. He leads us to Jesus. He helps us to find Jesus as surety, as the one who undertakes all that we need so we can be saved and washed in him. And what that means, dear family, is that there's nothing that you need for this life and for the life to come that is not essentially available and given freely to lost, hell-worthy sinners in Jesus. Are you foolish? He's wisdom. Are you prayerless? He's a praying high priest. Are you thankless? He's a thanking high priest. Are you full of unrighteousness? He's the Lord, our righteousness. Are you cursed? He's the curse bearer. Are you under divine wrath? He's the peace meritor, peacemaker, peace supplier. Are you hell worthy? He's the hell descending Savior to bear in his hellish agonies all the hell you deserve forever. Are you filthy? He is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Are you sorely tried? He was tempted in all points like as you are, yet without sin. Are you in spiritual bondage? In Him there is liberty, for if the Son of God shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Undertake for me. Now in Hezekiah's case, that was fulfilled both spiritually in Jesus and physically. He was given another 15 years. Your dad is not given another 15 years now. It's the Lord's time to take him. But you see, the important part is this, that you and I know this one who undertakes for us. So that when the accuser comes, Satan, and says, but you, you a child of God? How can you ever be a child of God? With this sin in, in, your, in your closet in the past, and with that sin that you're still struggling with today, how can someone with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life be a child of God? See, that's what haunted your dad. And the answer is profound, simple, beautiful, complete, just in this cry, in this one word, undertake 
for me, Lord. I can't do it myself. But thou hast one who has done it and who is doing it, keeping me now at the right hand of the Father, keeping what he has merited for me, keeping me in his mercy and his love. Undertake for me. Undertake for me. And so, what that means is, when Jesus undertakes for you, through spirit work, faith in you, trusting in him alone for salvation, it means that your sins are wiped away. And it means that God will remember them no more. That's amazing. You know, when I was a young man, I I still remember reading Hebrews 11. You know that chapter, by faith Abraham, by faith Noah, by faith Joseph. And when I got done reading the chapter, I thought, it seems so strange. By faith, all these things, but there's no sin mentioned at all. None of Abraham's sins, none of Joseph's sins, nothing. Why? Well, because they're all washed away. And when you're in Christ, they they will be mentioned no more. When When you rest in the double obedience of Jesus, it's all well. And you see, that's what Hezekiah learned in this difficult experience when he was on his deathbed, dying. God makes it all well. And so what does he say? O Lord, I am oppressed, undertake for me. What shall I say? He has spoken unto me, and himself hath done it. There's relief. There's salvation in the midst of oppression. Only through this so-called undertaking one. O Lord, he goes on to say in verse 16, By these things men live, and all these things is the life of, thy, of my spirit. Hezekiah could say with another poet, when this lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. And so my question to you, dear family and dear friends, is this. Is this your life? By these things do you live? Do you know what it means to be oppressed by sin? Oh, yes, absolutely. That's an important question. If sin doesn't bother you, you won't need a Savior to redeem you. They that have whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. But is this your life, dying daily to self, to finding hope in the only surety, the undertaking one? Do you live by these things? Is Christ your life? Can you say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Now that, that is what we need. That is what your your grandpa wanted me to preach about. The need to be convicted of sin and to flee to the Savior. To take soul oppression and to bring it to the undertaking one and to find relief in him. This is everything you need. And you have every encouragement to do that in the Bible. God says, as I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? With 49 grandchildren and 85 great-grandchildren, Humanly speaking, it cannot but be that a good number of you are not yet saved. That you don't really know Christ personally. You can't really say, Jesus is number one in my life. He's my life. He's my all and in all. You need to hear this message. You need to take the death of your grandpa And you need to lay it right in front of you and say, but if it were me, if if I were in this casket right now, would I be ready to meet the Lord? Do I know what it means to trust in a God of mercy? 
Listen to the Bible. Who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Dear grandchildren, great-grandchildren, children, take your need, take your sin, take all your oppression, and bring it to this God who delights in mercy. He's not slack concerning His promise, but He's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, Peter says, but that all should come to repentance and to faith. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So come just as you are. Don't try to clean up your life. Don't try to impress God. Don't try to, try to, to make the high bar. And then say, Lord, receive me. You'll, you'll never succeed. Your grandpa tried that 5,000 times. And he never succeeded once. It's only in Christ. It's only in Christ. So seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You know what the word abundantly means there? In Hebrew, It's the word that's associated with a flood, a river that bursts its banks and covers everything. God is saying if you come to him, seeking him while he may be found, and he still may be found because you're all still alive, calling upon him while he's near. He's near. He's near to you right now. He's near under the word. He's near every time you pick up the Bible. He's near every time you go to prayer. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and return to the Lord, for he will abundantly pardon all those sins that burst the banks of your life and cost you grief and consequences and seem to be strewn over the whole terrain of your life. God says, I will, the waters of my grace will wash them all away wherever they are, for they will, I will overburst my banks with my mercy. And I will cleanse you from every iniquity. And so who are those people that get into heaven? John tells us in Revelation, they are those who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb and who have come out of great oppression, great tribulation. Because... Those who cry out, O Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. Like Hezekiah. Like your dad. Will have their prayer answered. He will undertake through his son. For them. And for you. Trust him. He will abundantly pardon Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask thy blessing upon the message given in these moments. Strengthen the Vanderboon family. Go with them also to the cemetery and be with all of us. Help us all to take refuge to an undertaking triune God. O God, be our Father through thy undertaking Son, and by thy applying, sanctifying Spirit. And let us never rest short of true biblical Christianity, known and experienced in the soul. Grant us, O God, to find rest and peace in Emmanuel before that great and awesome day comes when thou shalt judge the living and the dead. Let thy word prevail today. Be with Dr. Kleivenhoven as he leads at the committal. Let thy kingdom come there as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We'll close this memorial service with the singing of all stanzas of Psalter 140, which capsulized so well the uh, life of Ori van der Boon, but also the, the text, Lord, I am oppressed, undertake for me. 140, all stanzas. Thank you.